You're listening to Apolitical Politics, where we discuss the ins and outs of Oregon politics without being political. I'm your host, Dwayne Stark. Today's episode is Tax Lobbying with special guest, Jeff Newgard, who's a registered lobbyist in the state of Oregon. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Rep. Thanks for having me. It's always good to chat with you, and if we hear the baby in the background, that's okay, because we know that you're a newlywed with a newborn and always excited there, and so don't stress too much if we hear the baby in the background. She can just uh, correct you if you are saying anything wrong, because that's what babies do, right? Well, and just one thing to know is that uh, in this office, when we hear the baby in the background, we refer to her as the intern. (laughs) Excellent. Starting them young. Well, Jeff, I, you know, I just told the world that you're newlywed with a baby, but tell me a little bit more about you and how do you, how did you get to where you are? Sure. So, uh, again, my name is Jeff Dugard. Uh, I'm the principal and owner of a company called Peak Policy LLC. Uh, we are a government affairs and policy consulting, so policy strategy uh, here in Oregon, specifically on the issues of state and local taxation. So think of everything from the state legislature trying to, you know, deal and work through, you know, major tax conversations to the local minutia of, you know, local property tax levies. My my scope of practice really covers the full spectrum of tax issues that affect Oregonians or Oregon businesses. And, you know, really, from my vantage point, is the starting point of government. How do we go and fund essential services? How do we go and approach the debates on what is, you know, a critical level of funding to be able to have appropriate service levels for all of our government programs. If somebody is new to the world of politics and governance and so forth, uh, can you explain to me what is your definition of being a lobbyist? Like, that's not just a bad word, is it? No, it's not just a bad word. In fact, everybody and every interest group and everybody fits into an interest group somewhere has a lobbyist. The lobbyist really is just the voice of a group of people or a group of businesses or a group of you know, sp- you know special interests. And I say that with air quotes, but everybody is a special interest, whether you're a teacher, whether you care about the environment, kids are special interests, parents are special interests, you know, elderly are special interests, everything in between there's a special interest group that represents everybody. So there are some connotations with the idea of a lobbyist, but really at the end of the day, a lobbyist is just the voice in the policy process. And it's an essential function of how government works is being able to have the outside world, being able to engage with lawmakers, policymakers, staffers, to make sure that they understand the way that a policy or a government program or a tax program in my case functions in the real world, without that real world application, um, we would have a lot of blind policy making. And that, that would actually be pretty terrifying um, from where I'm sitting. Uh, but a lobbyist is a critical component of the government ecosystem. We're the voice of, of all of the collective interests out there. I always refer to lobbyists as the resident expert on any given topic. And I have thought of them that way and, and utilized lobbyists in that fashion in the sense of if there's, you know, a dozen bills related to a specific topic, I am going to go find the lobbyist who is there and has become the expert on that, that can tell me the ins and outs that I don't know. And then as a constituent or a citizen, it's nice to have somebody in the building that, you know, is there to represent to the representatives 
what my group might think, like maybe a homeschooling group and so forth. So now, can you give me a, a general of, because there's different types of lobbyists, people who lobby for different things. What's the difference between a lobbyist that works for a specific company and a contract lobbyist? Yeah, so there's essentially two, maybe three different types of lobbyists. You can have an in-house lobbyist, um, which is somebody who works directly for, you know, whether it's a non-governmental organization, a business, even governments have lobbyists, but there can be kind of in-house or internal lobbyists. And then there's also contract lobbyists. And a contract lobbyist is, you know, somebody that's working for a company like mine that will go and engage with businesses, uh, you know, non-government groups, and also governments to go and represent them through the political and policy process. And there's kind of this third uh, kind of bucket where, you know, somebody can also kind of be both. You can be, um, you know, working as a non-governmental um lobbyists for an organization, but also branch off to some of, you know, sibling organizations and such. So, you know, there are some hybrid, but generally it's either in-house or on contract. And now you are specifically a tax lobbyist, as you mentioned. What's unique about being a tax lobbyist? What's really unique about being a tax lobbyist is that my job is to understand the way that the nuances of tax systems work. And, you know, I, don't blame anybody who hears, hears that description and says, wow, why would somebody go and do that to themselves? Why would you go and really punish yourself trying to understand how the tax world works? Well, from my vantage point, it really is, like I said, the starting point of government. And you know, if we're going to go and fund essential services, we need to go and make sure that the policy decisions that uh, are being made, whether it's in the legislature, your county commission, or your city council, have the intended effects that uh, – that the elected officials have when they come up with these decisions, or at the very least that if there are going to be unintended or negative consequences, that we're having discussions uh, as a community, whether it's you know, uh, city council, town halls, or legislative public hearings, that we're having conversations about why a policy is good or, good or bad. So much of my job is actually watching other states, watching Congress, watching the Internal Revenue Service, and understanding all the nuances that are going on there. So then that way, when a conversation comes up in Oregon, we have as much information as we can to understand whether a policy is good or bad. And sometimes it can be both good and bad. And let's have a conversation of why. My job is to be, you know, in a way, kind of um, the conduit to bring in the perspective and the experiences from elsewhere when those debates come up in Oregon. Oftentimes when someone thinks of somebody as being a specific type of lobbyist, then they might think that you are always lobbying for that sort of thing. So tax lobbyists, that doesn't necessarily mean you are lobbying for every tax that comes up, right? I've lobbied for taxes. I've lobbied, lobbied against a lot of taxes. I've lobbied for some big taxes. I've lobbied against a lot of big taxes. It's really just a mix. And again, it's, it's getting to, you know, having those conversations of what is that right, that right mix of revenue um, for a government. And sometimes those are very difficult conversations. You can really want to go and have an incredibly funded education system, but then you also have to have the hard conversation of where are you going to find the money for that. Um, at the local level, you can have conversations about, you know, wanting to have, you know, stronger law enforcement, better libraries, but you also have to have the, the complementary conversation of, well, how are we going to find the funding for that? And, you know, I'm not, you know, 
opposed to all taxes. The work that I do, the companies that I represent, you know, we're not opposed to all taxes. It's about making sure that when we have a conversation about what a revenue stream is, that we're having a conversation to make sure that it's you know, the least destructive, most beneficial type of tax system to be able to support the goals of government. If there's a tax or revenue bill going forward, I assume you're paying attention to all of those because they might interact with current tax code in an unexpected way or might have other ripple effects that other people might not be paying attention to, right? Absolutely. And, and, and it's not even just the, the policy ideas that are coming up in Oregon. It's the issues that are coming up in other states. For example, right now in San Francisco, there's a ballot measure, a citywide ballot measure that would go and, and uh, raise billions of dollars to do a universal basic income. There was actually a ballot measure that was going through the process here in Oregon for this election cycle that would have done a universal basic income style program didn't move forward, but there's other areas of the country that are having similar conversations. If those conversations are successful elsewhere, if they come to Oregon, we need to be prepared and have all the information from kind of the, you know, so-called battles that are going on elsewhere to help inform the conversations that are happening here. Without naming any specific clients, what types of individuals use your services? Like I'm trying to think of any given day, you know, if I'm walking through the capital, I might think, oh, this person is going to need a tax lobbyist or this person or this person back home is going, who needs your services? What types of groups reach out to you for your services? Uh, generally, my clientele is, is the business community, and that can range from the biggest of big businesses to the smallest of small businesses and everything in between. Um, but I've, I've also worked with, I've worked with government entities. I've worked with uh, nonprofit associations, trade associations, business associations, so forth. Everybody that has a stake in the you know, government fiscal kind of realm, which let's be fair, that's everyone, um, is somebody that can kind of fall into my tent of services. Do you work for other lobbyists as well who may not have such a grasp on taxes as you do? Well, and that's actually one of the reasons why I started my company just a few years ago. My company started in 2019. I spent uh, about a decade doing contract lobbying and we're actually working for elected officials in the past. But one of the reasons why I started my company was you know, we don't generally have kind of specialty lobbyists in, in Oregon. Um, and you know, for a while, I had thought to myself that you know, it was really a disservice to you know, the state and the lobbying community and just the political community altogether that we don't have people who directly specialize in a specific policy area. That's the reason why I formed my company. And one of the services that I provide is actually working on a subcontracted basis with other larger co uh, general contract lobbying firms to be able to give them the expertise in state and local taxation as a service they can provide to their clients or if there's a, you know, a one-off project, if there's a, you know, a, a specific issue, a specific tax issue that they need support with, whether it's in the building or communicating with their clients, they can hire me to kind of help, help be that person to, as I like to say, tax explain. Let's say I am a local official, local elected in Southern Oregon, and I have a big concern with marijuana or I want to tax marijuana in a different way, whether I want to change the marijuana tax um, distribution or I want to be able to tax it different locally or for whatever reason. I, I want to change something tax-wise with marijuana in Southern Oregon. I reach out to you as a elected official 
and from Southern Oregon, what would that conversation go like? Go like? What sorts of things would we talk about? How would I acquire your services and, and, and move forward on something like that? Well, the first, the first conversation that we would have is, you know, at the end of the day, what is the what is your end goal? What are you trying to achieve? Is it are you trying to get to a specific policy? Are you trying to have the state or a county try to go and change kind of the parameters that your that your local jurisdiction is trying to work through, uh, or are you just trying to go and give your local jurisdiction unfettered freedom? It, both of those are, um, you know. Uh, valuable conversations to have, but we need to know what you want at the end of the day. If we don't know what you want at the end of the day, it's very difficult to, to go and piece together kind of a step-by-step process of how we're going to get you there. So first off, w- what do you need at the end of the day? Second off is, you know, where are you willing to engage? What are you willing, what are you not willing to engage on? Um, do you want to go and bring up issues around home rule governance? And home rule governance is kind of the constitutional idea that our local governments are incubators of democracy and should have the freedom to be able to go and test uh, different ways of approaching you know, just government solutions altogether. But now in the space of marijuana, we have you know, a large, delicate regime statewide of how local governments can kind of tap into the local marijuana funding program. Well, do we want to have a conversation with the legislature over a special pilot project for our local jurisdiction to go and see if a new system works? Or do we want to go and engage with the Association of Oregon Counties and the League of Oregon Cities to go and have an overhaul, a complete reform of the way that Oregon approaches marijuana? And so we need to have those conversations on the front end to go and develop the intricate strategy to go and make sure that we have a dynamic plan to be able to uh, engage with policymakers and get the solution that you want. So you help them both brainstorm and narrow it down so that you can then help them devise what strategy would be next. Exactly. And and, and really being able to go and look at a big picture and then also the narrow lane of how you get there is, is the best approach to approaching government with an issue and also with a solution. Now, how does that sort of conversation differ than the types of conversations that you have with legislators? Uh, it depends on the legislature. Uh, legislator, you can have some legislators that are incredibly well versed in. I mean, stick with this example of local marijuana funding. There's some legislators that have spent years on years of trying to figure out what the right taxing system for marijuana is. There's also legislators out there that perhaps are interested in you know, marijuana and the larger umbrella of cannabis to include hemp in that as well, but they're not as well-versed on the tax side of things. And so a big part of my job is to be able to go to the legislators who understand the system and have the, you know, more dense conversations of how the system should work. But then on the other side, being, going to you know, the legislators that might have an interest in marijuana but not have a full comprehensive understanding of the tax system and educate them to be able to bring them up to be on par with the legislators that have spent so much time working on it. A big part of my job is, is education. How much do you think your interactions with legislators are proactive versus reactive, or like what percentage, where they throw something forward or put something forward that has great ramifications in the tax realm, and so you're having to react to that versus you have something that a a client has brought to you or a community member has brought to you and you're trying to go and pitch that to a legislator. What sort of percentage would you say you land on with those? I would say it's probably about 30% reactive, 
um, 70% proactive. And sometimes, sometimes the conversation can very much be a hybrid between the two. Often, you know, especially while the legislature's in session, you know, you're in a, you know, well, for example, a, a revenue committee chair's office or a revenue staff's office, and you're just regularly having conversations. You can have a proactive conversation, but something comes up, almost, you know, seeming to you out of left field. Uh, that actually puts you in a reactive position. But the point is you want to avoid kind of being stuck or you want to avoid being in positions where um, you're kind of being caught off guard, having an issue come out of left field. The more that you can have a dialogue with staff, policymakers, and lawmakers, uh, the closer you can get to having proactive conversations, even if it's on a reactive issue. Are the conversations significantly different between the types of things you talk about with state legislators versus local legislators or local electeds? Uh, very much. Uh, it's a state legislature. The state legislature is very in tune on a holistic scale of what the issues in Oregon are. But with local with local government leaders, they're the one they're the boots on the ground that are actually having to go and address the issues. And so when you're working with local officials. You know, they are the ones who you know, are out on the streets trying to clean up the streets, trying to go and deal with public safety issues, trying to go and, and fund and, and staff the libraries and schools. And so it's just completely different conversations with, you know, the state, the state officials and local officials. But at the end of the day, you know, so many of the conversations end up being the same. They're, the approach is just different because the individuals that you're speaking to have just are just approaching it with very different experiences. I know you mentioned a little bit of this, both just in the answer you gave in earlier, as far as working with local electeds and things at a, a community level. But what does a lobbyist do when session's not in? Work a lot. Uh, there is this common perception of uh, the legislature is only in session for five to six months during odd-numbered years and only 35 days during even-numbered years. But the truth is, is that we live in this world now where, where the legislature is politicking you know, 365 days a year, regardless of whether it being a long or short session year. And for me, since my job also covers you know, so many tax issues and developments that are happening in other states, um, really the big change for me between working – you know, during session and during the interim is that during the interim, I'm spending a whole lot more time in front of a computer screen and Zoom calls and traveling, uh, whereas in, when we're in the building, when we're in session, I at least know where I'm spending my day. Any final words that you want to share with listeners? Anything I've missed that you really want to make sure they know about? I would just say that right now we're living in a very unique period of, of national and also state history. We're coming back from the pandemic. There's a lot of economic and fiscal challenges that governments are dealing with, but also that families are dealing with. Inflation is a big issue right now, and it's something that's not going to go away anytime soon. I, I hate saying that, but it's probably the reality. We really need to be engaged with our governments right now. We need to have some of the hard conversations on taxes. And sometimes that can mean that we're going to have hard conversations on taxes that we really don't want to see exist. It can also be conversations on, you know, having to go and put the brakes on expanding government to be able to go and make sure that we have fiscally strong public services. Uh, but I really do think that over the next two, three, five years, 
going to be a fascinating time in the tax policy space because there's just so many issues, issues that are, you know, incredibly dense and also issues that are very emotional. And while, you know, the average person might hear taxes and it might, you know, make their, make, you know, make their shoulders shrug and get frustrated, an important conversation that we need to have as a people to go and figure out how do we want to go and fund the public services that we rely on? How do we keep our streets clean? How do we go and make sure that we have well-funded schools? How do we keep the libraries open and the programs that libraries offer? Um, they're all very difficult conversations, but having the conversations today and figuring out the solutions that we're willing to accept and the things that we need to go and put on the sideline for a little while are the conversations that will help make sure that when we get five years from now and we're 10 years from now, that we truly do live in better communities. And so I'm really excited for the conversations that are going to be coming up in the legislatures and county commission meetings and city councils around taxes, not because they're going to be easy, but because they're actually going to be hard, but I think that we can get somewhere. And so I'm, I, I'm really excited for, for what the future brings. Thanks for listening. For more apolitical politics, check out apoliticalpolitics.org or duanestark.org.